0: As a church, we've been in an extended series on the book of Acts, and and we just finished our first act in the book of Acts called Origin, as we see the origins of the church emerging. And up until this point, we've been at ground zero in Jerusalem, where the Jewish people had gathered for Pentecost, and they had seen an outpouring of God's spirit, and they stayed there. They stayed there on their pilgrimage, and the ones that lived there, of course, lived there. And they began to accept this new teaching about this man named Jesus, that Jesus was the promised and coming Messiah. But then a man named Stephen uh, was, was martyred. He was killed uh, for, for his faith, for his preaching, uh, for his teaching, for his ministry. And it was kind of like there was blood in the water then. So then persecution of these, these new Religious people broke out in Jerusalem, and many of them were scattered all throughout the surrounding areas, including Judea and Samaria. Um, and so we pick up the text here where a man named Philip, not Philip the disciple, not one of the 12, but Philip, just a, just a deacon. He was just a, 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 a servant dude who was helping out just like uh, Stephen was. And uh, we follow his journey into a place called Samaria. So we've come now to a a new act, act two in the book of Acts. And we've titled that margin because up until this point, we've been at, like I said before, ground zero. So the space where um, the holy of holies, right? Jerusalem, the holy city uh, where the Jewish people were gathered and collected, where the the hierarchy of, of the Jewish religion was embodied, but now God has afflicted those who began to be comfortable, and has spread them out through persecution. And so we see the gospel of Jesus, this new way of understanding the world, starting to travel out from the center to the margins—not just for the observant, the good Jews who came in, but for the for the fakers and the shakers, for the for the uh, magicians, for the. Uh, pagan religious people uh, for those on the fringes, not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile, not just for the free, but for the slave, not just uh, for the high, but for the low. So that's where we start this morning as we see this passage where um, Philip enters a place called Samaria. And if you have noticed already, um, the title of the sermon is called Jesus for the Fakers. Jesus for the fakers. And I wonder if you've ever been at a point in your life where everything you'd so carefully arranged, the, the, the way you have um, constructed a world or a perception of who you are was about to topple, was there was a chink in your armor and it had been exposed. Or like the old Weezer song, your their sweater has been being, started to be pulled away. That last thread, somebody found that thread and they're just pulling. The whole sweater is coming undone. Have you ever been there where, where you, you had convinced people that you were really a kind, generous person? And you had even convinced yourself of that. And then That little thread starts to get pulled on, that somebody finds the chink, they find the way in which you've been hoarding something, or someone, or some part of yourself, and it's all about to fall apart. I know I've been there more than one time. Today we're going to look at a man named Simon, magician, who that is true of. What he's built his identity on, how he has been able to live successfully in the world with power, with praise, it's starting to fall apart. What's Simon going to do? How is he going to avoid or embrace the fact that all along he's been a faker? So here's a question I want us to consider this morning Are you a faker? If you are, Jesus is for you. So let's take a look at this passage and learn a little bit about this guy named Simon. Let's let's start in this verse uh, here, verse nine. We're gonna read verse nine through 11 and see what we can learn about this faker named Simon. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all of the people of Samaria he boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. So humor me here because I I had to imagine a little bit about this guy named Simon. It doesn't tell us his history. It doesn't, it doesn't tell us his past, but he has a unique place in the ancient literature that surrounds the gospels. He pops up a lot of different times. A lot of times he's referred to as this guy named Simon Magnus. And, um, so I began to think what, what led Simon to, to this place? Um, I, I imagine him growing up, maybe first he thought I'll be a ball player, right? I'll, I'll be good enough to, to, to get into the MBA. but he was just too short to be a center, and that's what he wanted to do, and so those dreams died. He thought maybe, well, maybe I'm smart. Maybe, maybe I can make really good grades and impress people that way and gain a lot of friends and prestige and power that way, but he worked really hard, and for his B+, his friend next to him worked half as hard as him for his A+, and he said, well, it's not gonna be academics, Simon, he, he had this pension for, for making people laugh and for doing tricks. He could do card tricks. You know, those little Aramaic card decks that they had back then. He, he could do some sleight of hand through his robe, right? He could make a, he could make a, a, a handkerchief come all the way out the, the bottom of his robe, all different colors. And people liked it and they laughed and he said, maybe I'm onto something here. And so he began to upgrade and he found more tricks he found more ways and before long there were crowds gathering and and then when he would when he would see people when he would when he would run into somebody the first thing they asked him is hey you got any new tricks could you show us any new magic tricks today and so simon quickly began to equate his worth as a human being with magic with being able to show these amazing little tricks he found that when he did that people wanted to be around him they laughed they invited him to parties, and and then something even crazier happened. People started bringing their hurts to him, their um, their their children who were sick, their problems, and Simon said, "Well, okay, I got a choice here. I can I can say, hey, that's that's above my pay grade, or I can I could go I could go all the way in and say, oh yeah, I know how to do that, and go into his bag of tricks." and start seeing if he could pull a rabbit out of his hat and start providing things for people because he started to build this world up for himself, this this way of being wanted and needed and appreciated in the world. And so he decided he was going to double down on it until he got into some really deep stuff, until people started calling him the great, with capital letters, the great power. Simon might have just been a local magician in a Backwoods place called Samaria, place for outcasts, place for half-breeds. Or he he might have been part of a a very prominent Gnostic uh, cult there. We we just don't know. But I wonder if you could could see Simon in a little different way. If If you thought about a life like that, where he started out with something small, but before he knew it, his whole life became a big sham. He became a faker. A fraud. His identity was in something that wasn't real. Could you have some sympathy for somebody like that? Have you ever found yourself in a place like that? Or maybe you even convinced yourself, maybe you thought you even had convinced God that you were this really wonderful person, this this person who looked good without your makeup on, who was really strong and confident and everybody could bring their hurts to, who was really smart and always had the right answers and was never scared, whatever it may be. But on the inside, way deep down, you knew that wasn't really you. Maybe maybe you're somebody who people look to and say, they, they just have strong faith. They, they never doubt. They never have any doubts at all. They just know God's going to take care of them. And on the inside, it's just not that way. You're riddled with doubt. You're a faker. And Jesus is for you if you're that kind of person. So Simon, of course, he starts out this way and he gets to a really good place. Life is working really well for him. Everybody's following him. It says from the high to the low, follow this guy. And they think he's like the runner up to God. Maybe he's this prophet that the, that the Samaritans were very familiar with because they had studied the same text, the text that we read earlier that Stacy read for us about this coming uh, post-Mosaic savior and prophet, right? Maybe they thought he had something to do with this guy. Maybe he thought that maybe he, he was this guy. But what happens is this dude named Philip comes on the scene. And Philip, seemingly without any effort at all, starts doing real miracles. He starts actually healing people. And not just like, oh, I think they're sort of healed. And oh, thanks Simon. And there was a puff of smoke and he told us to look in the sky and we saw something. No, like they're walking. They're being healed of disease. Demons are coming out of them with loud shrieks. And Simon's just this regular old dude. He's not anybody special. It looks effortless. Have you ever been in that situation? where you are working really hard. You think you look so cute. You think you look so good. And then she walks in the room and it just looks effortless for her. Her hair just falls the right way. Her eyebrows, they're not even tweezed. They're just somehow magically perfect. She doesn't need smoky eye or high heels. Men just, heads just turn. And then you look at yourself again and you're like, I'm a faker. I'm not beautiful like her. I'm not special like her. And it seems effortless. I wonder if that's how Simon felt. You know, minus the smoky eye. When Philip came on the scene, here's this normal guy doing all this amazing work. You see, Philip wasn't a big deal. He wasn't a big-time apostle. He wasn't somebody who climbed the hierarchy in the Sanhedrin, the highest religious um, organization and, and, and power of the Jewish people at the time. He was the guy who made sure everybody got enough bread. That's who Philip was. But there was something about him that was real in a way that Simon had only ever dreamed of. And so at that point, for the first time, maybe in Simon's life, his faker-ness stopped working for him. And this is so important for us, especially those of us who've grown up here in a city like Memphis or grown up in church, to get to a point where whatever we've been faking stops really working for us. You can come to a moment like that and you have a choice. Do you double down on your faker fakery or do you do something else? Do you let down your guard? Do you admit you're a faker? If you do, Hey, Jesus is there for you. Let's see what Simon does. Let's look back at this text. Um, Follow me in verse 12, chapter 8, verse 12 and 13. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So um, Philip comes on the scene. He shows something new, as we just talked about. And we continue on into verse 13 to see Simon's reaction Verse 13 says, Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Well, that's weird. Simon was the top guy. In all. He had this little city. He was like the little unofficial mayor of this city, right? Everybody came to him. He probably got chickens every day. Like people probably just brought him chickens and stuff. and and like donations just to keep him happy. (laughs) You know what I mean, right? Like if that was today, it wouldn't be chickens. It would be, you know, money or Aramaic playing cards. Um, But we see something kind of that makes us pause here. Simon showed a lot of humility. He... He said, okay, this has been working really well for me so far, and it's gotten me everything that I thought this world could offer just by faking it. But now I see somebody else who comes along and they've got the real goods, and guess what? I'm gonna submit to their leadership. They've learned something about life that I just didn't know existed, and so he believed. He believed in this message, this gospel of Jesus, this idea that somebody incredibly normal could do something that Philip was doing. This, this, this idea that there's a kingdom, another kingdom, another world, so strange, so different, that the leader of this kingdom is a crucified man. There has never been an idea like that in world history, that the biggest leader of a kingdom is a humiliated lower-class man on a cross. He was lynched, he was killed, and he's supposed to be the emperor. And yet, it changed Philip's life, and Simon followed in suit. So I have a question for us fakers, for you and me, the ways that we're fakers. Have you ever come up against anything that looks like what Simon saw enough that you could say that my status, what I've developed, what I've pieced together, this identity, that's what we're really talking about here, this identity that there's something I see stronger or more powerful for that. Stronger or more powerful than that. If you were able to look at your life and realize that you're still putting on a show, some of those ways we talked about or something, something totally else that you're thinking about, then you would have to admit something to yourself that the identity you've created, that there's nothing, not God, not the Bible, not church, not Christianity, that you have honestly believed is more powerful than that fake identity that you formed for yourself. That thing you're hiding behind. Doesn't doesn't mean you're not a Christian. Doesn't mean you are a Christian. But it does mean that even if you do all the right things and check all the right boxes, you might still be a faker. In fact, you might be more likely to be one. So um, let me say this in another way. It's on the screen here. Until you can submit to something or someone that is potentially greater than whatever it is you get from faking, you'll never have the courage to be yourself. Another way of saying that is until you give up faking it, you'll never make it. That's what Simon figured out. That's what he knew in that moment. As he said, y'all thought I was the greatest and I'm gonna follow this regular old dude around who just got kicked out of the holy city, the holiest of holiest places. I'm gonna follow him around. Who? that takes some humility. Where do you need to do something like that in your life where you need to stop saying, well, hey, yeah, I go to that church and I like those things that are said, but that's not really my pastor. I just kind of like like it. I just kind of like, like, like that church or, you know, like I'm, I'm in this group or I'm in a story group or, you know, I attend or whatever, but like I'm still doing my own. Like I got this under control. You're a faker. And Jesus is for you. So let's follow the story. Let's see what happens to Simon. Do you feel like you like Simon a little bit more than maybe when this started? I do. I, I like Simon a lot. I'm rooting for him. I really am. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. man, Philip, you were so close. You were so close. And then you go and say something like this. Before we get to Simon, though, I just want to acknowledge how hard it would be to be Philip in this situation. Like Philip goes into a non-Jewish uh, kosher place on his own. He preaches the gospel. All these people receive the gospel. They're baptized. And then like the head honchos have to come in, like Peter and John have to come in and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, you did it wrong. You only baptized them in Jesus name. Let's, let me fix this. I'm gonna lay my hands. Okay, now they're good. Now they got the Holy Spirit, Right that would suck to be Philip in that situation, right? Wouldn't it? It's hard to be that kind of person, like to be that second string person. But Philip had that grounding. He wasn't a faker. So he was able to, he was able to deal with that. And Drew's going to show us next week some more amazing things that Philip does just by like being a normal, ordinary person. But Simon, come on, Simon. So you get baptized and then you want to buy the power of the Holy Spirit with money. What are you thinking? You just showed all this humility. You just converted your identity, the identity you'd always known, the only way you knew how to operate in the world, right? That's what he sold. That's what he got rid of. That's what he laid down. So many people that met Jesus himself were unwilling to do that. But Simon does it. And then he's like, hey, yo, man, let me get that Holy Spirit. Like, I got, I got, I got something. Like, come back. To, I got so many chickens. I got so many cards. Come on over, and we'll work out a deal. That's not good, Simon. It's not good. Why did Simon think this? I have an idea. I think it's because Simon was just like us. I think it's because... The kingdom of God is so different. It's hard for us just because we've been converted, because our identity, we've, we think our identity is now found in this new kingdom, in this person of Jesus. We still have all these ideas that it works the same way everything else did for us. That the same way that we kind of got along in life, the same way we kind of elbowed our way through by our looks or our intelligence or our money or whatever it might be, that somehow that's going to work the same way in the kingdom of God. It just gets dressed up and prettied up a little bit. Like now my intelligence, instead of in skepticism of uh, Christianity, now I can use my intelligence's power by like thinking I know the truth about everything and slamming Bible verses on everybody and everything and saying I don't got to question nothing or nobody because I can quote to you Romans such and such. Maybe, Maybe you've just traded one earthly kingdom for another and stamped a picture of Jesus on it like Simon did. Was Simon Lying? Was he faking when he humbled himself and followed Philip and was baptized? I don't think so. He, he was risking way too much to be faking that. I think he really, really meant it. He just didn't really understand. He just really didn't get that the kingdom of God, that a crucified peasant savior might have a different way of living and operating in the world. It wasn't trading one kingdom for another, quid pro quo, whatever that means. So, uh, Robin mentioned this the other week, this, this idea of, of Christendom. And I think that's, that's what Simon, and that's what so often causes us to be fakers, is, is we, we trade Christianity for Christendom. Let, let me explain. Um, Christianity is our faith. It's, it's the tenets and the doctrines, but mostly it's the person of Jesus. Christendom is a government-sanctioned understanding of that faith. It's if we line up our faith with our political attachments with the way we know life just has to be to keep up our faking. That's Christendom. That's the idea. That's that's when you merge those two things. And instead of having Christianity interacting with the world, you have the world with a little Christianity sort of sprinkled through it. And that's what Simon thought it was. That's what he thought the deal was. Like Simon thought Philip just had the next leg up on him. He didn't quite get it all yet. And I think if any of uh, us are honest, that's our journey with Christianity also. You don't have one moment where you just get everything. You might have a sort of Damascus road moment, which we'll also be looking at soon here. You might have a lightning strike where something becomes clear to you for the first time that you don't have to earn anything, that God gives grace as a gift, that you're fully and radically accepted by Jesus, and that that can be seen in how God operated and acted and was crucified on a cross instead of grabbing and taking the power. You might get that in a moment, in a flash, but your whole life is still built up around all the ways you've tried to construct this identity for yourself to make you safe. And that's not a wrong thing. It's all you knew. It's all I knew, but we've got to admit we're still fakers and we still got things to look at, to examine, just like Simon did. Simon, Gives us a great picture of what it looks like to do that honestly and openly. It's painful though. So um, we've been dealing with this idea, this, uh, this, this issue of, of faking, and that gets to this idea of identity. And primarily something that many of us have heard a large portion of sermons about in our lifetime, if we grew up in church, or even if you watched TV late at night before, and didn't have Netflix back in the day, right, um, is about conversion, saying the prayer of faith and then becoming a Christian, once saved, always saved, these kind of ideas. And we were left with an anemic version of faith where it was simply about restating this one sort of mantra and trying to collect and remember as many sins as we could and ask forgiveness on a regular basis. And how can we get other people onto that team? But obviously it's more than that. It's not what we see happening here. And there is a quote in our bulletin about this fuller, richer understanding of conversion, of identity, of of converting from fakerism to an authentic way of living and operating in the world under the authority of Jesus. Let's let's read that bulletin together. It comes from a a man named uh, E. Stanley Jones, who was a prominent missionary in India. He was a he was a European American. Uh, well, he's a European guy who was in the 18th century, a missionary uh, in India. In conversion, you are not attached primarily to an order, nor to an institution, nor a movement, nor a set of beliefs, nor a code of action. You're attached primarily to a person and secondarily to these other things. on the way to church this morning, driving with one hand, with a broken windshield wiper in the rain, I was listening to. My seatbelt was on though. I was listening to uh, NPR, and they had an author there was had written a book about um, identity politics, and about um, where we were in a state of our country, and. And she said that in talking with uh, other, other political scientists, she saw that we were really one check mark away from um, what has constituted civil war um, in many other uh, modern um, countries. And that one, that one check mark that wasn't yet there was economic stability. She was very hesitant to say it the reporter was pushing her but she said yeah if it w- it would be really bad right now if we lost economic stability because our identities in this country are so tied to an us versus them that the only thing that, the only present hope other than the continuation of the economic stability because comfortable people don't typically commit violence is a disruption in the identity politics that we currently ascribe to. And she gave examples from the 60s in, in the Democratic Party and other, other examples. She said that the, that would be the only thing for, for there to be a disruption in our identity and how we ascribe our identity to a party. And we're told what parts of our identities are being threatened. And so when we're being told over and over those things, that's what becomes important. The closer that we can get to Simon's humility, the more we we can cast off some of those things and find our identity centered around a person. Jesus. Jesus is for the fakers. He's for us. He's for you and me. Let's see what happens to poor old Simon here. So, Simon tries to buy the Holy Spirit. In verse 20, Peter answered, May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. That's how faking leaves us. That's the cost. The cost is we are filled with bitterness and we are captive. We are not free. It's so hard to give that up though. It's so hard to give that up when we feel that it is the greatest power to protect us. Whether you're a Christian or not, there are things in your life, if you were to examine them, that you believed were stronger than, the God, than God, than the Bible, than your Christian faith. And that's what Simon gives us an opportunity to examine because Jesus is for us. I was singing that last song that, that um, I, don't, I don't know the name of it, but we're talking about Jesus just sweep us off our feet. And um, I think that's it's a good response when we come face to face with some of those things. So uh, Simon answered in verse 24, he said, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. This is our last Mention of Simon in the canonical scriptures, and uh, he's he still still doesn't quite get it. He still thinks about this hierarchical relationship, but Jesus is still for him. He's on the path. Are you on that path, or have you arrived? Did you arrive? You faked it, and you made it. Uh, This passage is about identity, and it's about conversion. Even the people that were baptized needed a second touch from the apostles. Isn't that strange? People have built whole doctrines around that passage. If you're here and, and this is kind of your last stop in church and, and you've heard all that conversion stuff your whole life, maybe, maybe you could think about it differently. Maybe it doesn't have to insult your intellect. Maybe it is a journey. Maybe it's um, a way to become less of a faker today and to give up something that you thought was central and core to your identity. Maybe Jesus can, can fill the gap for you there. Maybe, maybe he can give you a greater sense of who you are. And maybe you'll find freedom that an ordinary person like Philip found. Let's pray. Lord, thank you um, for your word. Thank you for the diversity of it, the power of it, the questioning in it, the holiness of it. I pray you give us the courage to examine our identities to ask that you would you would sweep us off our feet, that we would have less and less um, of a need to be a faker and that we could follow Simon's example in that. Thank you for this church. Thank you that this is a place where we can be on that journey together. I pray for open hearts, uh, for open minds, um, I pray for uh, the letting down of guards. In Jesus' name, amen.